Welcome to Safety Sisters, the podcast about the people who keep you safe at events and beyond. In this episode, I meet with Emma Parkinson, who leads the Masters in Crowded Places and Public Safety Management at Coventry University, works as a crowd safety manager on some of the world's biggest events, as well as studying a professional doctorate into learning from high reliability organisations such as nuclear, aviation and space. We discuss our role behind the curtain, the power of volunteers, respecting staff and C3, command, control and communications. Emma is one of the leading crowd safety practitioners in our industry. And as you will hear, I am a big fan of her work, wisdom and passion for crowd safety. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Oh, Emma, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today um to talk about our favorite subject in the world and this is how excited I am to talk to you because I just sang like a lunatic (laughs) Um, I don't know if I can live up to that reputation um, (laughs) thank you very much for having me it's very very exciting to be able to talk about my favorite subject too um Emma so I have god I don't know how long I've known you but um ever since I I've known that you uh are on this earth doing all the amazing things that you do I have been a massive massive fan um I love your passion one thing that really inspires me is how you get everyone interested and connected in with what you know we do in in the world of, of crowd safety and crowd management and also everything that you teach um, in your master's and uh, I don't want to you know I don't want to spoil the episode but (laughs) I'm going to stop fangirling now and (laughs) ask you you my first question which is Emma what do you do? Uh, I've got lots of different hats Um, so I guess one of my main jobs is I'm the course director for programs in crowded places and public safety management at Coventry University in the UK. So I designed the MSC uh, in Crowded Places five years ago, and now I operate it and teach on it. Uh, I also teach a lot of emergency planning and management, a lot of resilience, risk and leadership kind of courses as well, uh, plus a lot of undergraduate programmes. So big part of my time I'm an academic now um, but I balance that with being a practitioner so I about 20 to 25 percent of my time I get to be a practitioner in various different parts of our field so um, I'm a crowd manager crowd coordinator Um, I've got some clients that include very large-scale greenfield festivals in the UK um, so I, 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 I have them. Uh, I've done street festivals, was heavily involved with City of Culture in Coventry. Uh, I've done protests and marches. Um, so I spend enough time in the year keeping my boots on the floor rather than piloting a desk. Um, the hope, well, partly because if I had to sit behind a desk all year and not do practical things, I'd go absolutely insane. Um, and partly because much as I love being an academic, I also love being a crowd manager. And I couldn't give up being in the field, working with the public, working with the amazing people you meet in the sector and solving all the amazing challenges that you get every single day as a working crowd manager. So, yeah, so what I do is kind of half and half um, academic, uh, crowd practitioner, uh, a bit of consultancy. And for my sins, I'm also a doctoral candidate because I came to academia very late in life. 
Um, so I didn't go the the usual route where um, people who go and get their doctorates sort of they go into a university at 18 and they emerge at 26, 27, blinking into the sunlight, wondering what happened to the past decade. I um, I uh, did an undergraduate degree 13 cough, cough, cough years ago, uh, <laughs> totally irrelevant and had a really odd kind of portfolio career of stuff on the way um, and then found emergency planning and crowd safety, fell in love, uh, did a master's degree became an academic and only now am I getting around to the doctorate so I have no hobbies and no life pretty immersed in the topic but yeah that's what I do wow there's definitely 24 hours in a day right Emma <laughs> I've managed to make it at least 26 on more than one <laughs> Einstein would like to study you know um you said you fell in love with crowds and that's where you you shifted and started the study there what caused you to fall in love so many things um I often I often say that crowd safety is the best job in the world if you're a nosy person (laughs) because you have to know a bit about everything you've got to be able to understand the ramifications of so many topics on crowd safety so a there's the crowd science and the crowd dynamics I, I got my first education in that when I worked uh, uh, for Oxfam, leading Oxfam stewarding. Um, And I spent uh, time learning crowd dynamics and then seeing it play out in practice um, and realising that in a lot of places it often wasn't being done very well. And with a purely logical approach, I sat there and thought, there's there's got to be a better way of applying this Mm. at times, Um, more of which later, I'm sure. But um, it, it was more that the the interplay of the crowd science the crowd dynamics the crowd physics the crowd psychology the impact of the crowd manager on the crowd how you how you analyze a site the the vast chasm between the analysis of a site and the operation of a site is in itself just a fascinating problem the mm. fact that when you work as a crowd manager very often your job is to bring somebody else's creative vision to life you know so we deal with so many creatives um who often you know wander through the world trying to work out how to make the best entertainment in the world the the most cutting edge entertainment the most exciting entertainment um but their job is not to understand the ramifications of what they're making That's not Mm. good at. So helping creatives interpret their vision for spaces, particularly greenfield spaces. I'm really interested in greenfield sites, the opportunity to build cities from scratch. Uh, You know, everybody should should have that opportunity. It's an amazing thing. Um, But, you know, working with a set of creatives to work out how to bring their vision to life from a perspective of crowd safety negotiating with them elements of their creative their design their booking their artistry to go look if you do you can't you can't sit there and say if you do this it will be dangerous like have you considered this so constantly working out the impact of creative on safety of safety on creative understanding all the other different elements you've got to include you know I work on sites where we're like yeah we'll put the flow there we'll put the build there we'll put the CCTV there oh there's a pylon we can't do that 
oh, there's a national high voltage line runs right, right the way through the middle of where we wanted to build that entire thing. Right, we can't do that. What do you mean that tree is 200 years old and it's protected and we can't pull it up? You know, oh, that bit of land gets really, really boggy. So we could plan it and it looks great. But the minute it rains, that will not work. You know, did, so you've got to have that interplay of the physical environment, the creative, the crowd dynamics, the commanding control. It's it's just the interplay of all the different elements. I, I how could you not be fascinated? How could you not be fascinated? That's that's why I love it so much. Yeah, I I echo that sentiment. It's it's like crowd safety is just it's it's everything. It's everything that you see and and, and feel and witness and and everything that you don't as well. You know all the mm-hmm. the kind of infrastructure behind that. As an attendee, you know, at an event, you've absolutely no idea of everything that is happening to facilitate your experience and and keep you safe and facilitating you have a really good time. You know, I I, I love what you're saying about like the creatives are there to like make that art and make that entertainment, but they're not there to work out the ramifications. We are. So I love that you you said it in that way because, you know, in, in the last episode with Becky Stevens, we talked about the, the safety police and I've got my inverted commas going. And this notion that we're here to poo-poo everyone's fun and we're not, we're, we're here to facilitate the fun. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although there are a certain group of people that do refer to me as the fun sponge oh Um, no (laughs) I wear that with pride I wear that with pride but yeah there's there's and you know you you talk about people don't know what's going on and nor should they it's the magic behind the curtain you know we're we're, it's like the Wizard of Oz it's you know they they should have no idea that this is happening they should the idea that we can create environments where people feel free where they feel able to express themselves where they feel able to have fun uh where we can create escape from their their daily life you know we we create those magical moments and you know some people do that with incredible projections and amazing artistry and beautiful singing and wonderful costumes and some of us do it with spreadsheets and high-vis jackets and radios you know um everyone's an artist in their own way Yes, that is so true. Um, yeah. And we, you know, when people say, you know, I don't have a creative bone in my body. Well, actually, what we're doing in the safety element, we are solving problems all the time, all yeah. the time, you know, in planning and then in delivery, you know, because nothing, nothing ever goes to plan uh, because we're dealing with thousands of people who make all their, you know, all their own decisions. One thing that you you mentioned of the, the different variables is you said the the crowd manager and the impact of the crowd manager on the crowd. I Mm. thought that was really interesting. Everything from the way you design your systems, whether you're designing them for absolute utility because you've worked out that this is where the flow would go best. If the crowd doesn't think that, then good luck with operationalizing that system. Mm. It will be resource intensive and people intensive, and it will have a negative impact on your crowd because you will have to change their minds to make them do things. Mm. You know, the the dream is to create experiences where the crowd doesn't know. It sounds awful, doesn't it? The crowd doesn't know it's being manipulated. It doesn't know you're driving them in certain directions. They feel like they've made that choice. Um, It's the choice you wanted them to make, but they feel like they've made that choice. Um, But, you know, everything from the way you communicate with the crowd on the front line to the way you spend the months before the event designing the system, your impact on that crowd can change everything. You know, so you've all seen 
a really good frontline member of staff at work. You know, if you've got a security guard who sits there shuffling, looking grumpy, staring at their feet, whatever, not communicating with the crowd, you don't you don't stand a chance. You absolutely don't stand a chance. Um, whereas in part of my job, I'm lucky enough to work with a bunch of volunteer stewards who live and breathe the event they work at. They feel like it is part of their DNA. And because of that, they're proud of the event. They feel ownership of the event. They feel empowered to act to keep the event safe. And therefore, when I ask them to communicate with the audience, man, do they communicate with the audience? You know, they communicate well, they communicate in language that the audience understands. The audience feels like it's being directed by other members of the audience, which is great. Um, but very much the impact they have on the crowd is phenomenal. So, yeah, it's 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 all the way through the DNA of what we do from the very front line to plans made in rooms hundreds of miles away months before the event. And with the volunteers and just how engaging you, you know, and how much they really take ownership of the role and they really have a positive impact on on crowd safety. And, you know, over the years of working on uh, particularly major sport events where you have that volunteer program and I would often experience times where actually I would get more out of them in terms of being able to support my crowd management operation than the paid temporary security and stewarding staff. 100%. 100%. If you're there for your 12, 60, 13 quid, 14 quid an hour, you're going to have one motivation. If you're there working for nothing because you love the event, you wanted a ticket to that event, so you love the event because you want to help people at the event, your motivation is going to be so different. Um, And, I mean, I spent a long time working with volunteers. I was lucky enough to work with Oxfam Stewarding for a couple of years full time, uh, where we put out over 8,000 volunteers a season, um, 30 odd thousand volunteer places fulfilled at different shows in a summer season. Um, And the passion that those volunteers bring to what they do, um, their eagerness to be part of it, their sense of ownership. Um, And if you can support them with good training, good briefing, a progression structure, empower the right people to take responsibility in the right way there's this there's this common misconception that volunteers can be feckless I've never encountered that in my entire career and I've worked with more volunteers than than most people um volunteers are one of the most amazing assets to a crowd manager if you can prepare them right Mm, that last bit is so important and yeah because the industry is in we're, we're in many challenging places right now. And, and one of those challenging places is the, the the quantity and quality of, you know, our our security and stewarding staff. And mm-hmm. there's this debate, isn't there, about utilising volunteers and, and if they can or cannot be utilised in, in a crowd management plan. And yeah, I'd love to get your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, we're seeing there was so much flight from the industry. You know, first because of um, EU exit, because of the impact of the pandemic, because a lot of people suddenly realised that the money was better elsewhere or the terms were better elsewhere or they didn't have to spend an entire summer away from their families. So obviously we saw massive flight from the industry Um, on the experience that we lost and the skills that we lost. You know, we lost our good people because clearly they were going to be employed elsewhere. Mm. Um, and so we we lost our best people. We lost the people who can 
read the mood of a crowd who can jump on a radio and just give me, you know, they might, they might not be the world's most experienced sort of crowd manager in terms of writing plans and writing assessments, but they might well be absolutely versed in reading the mood of a crowd being able to give you a good summary of the speed at which they're moving, the density that they're at, whether they're happy, whether they're not happy, whether they're responding well, whether they're not responding well, whether there's anything unusual happening on the front line. We lost a lot of those people, people that weren't frightened by crowds, people that weren't phased mm. by crowds. Um, and what we're seeing now very often, and there are still some amazing people in the industry, don't get me wrong, but what we're also seeing is a, a degree of casualization in the workforce, which is you know, really worrying people that are really new to the industry, uh, people that are have have potentially passed a course, you know, they might well have passed their SIA. I'll leave comments about that to other people, perhaps. I know that the BBC took quite an interest in that recently. Um, but they're being delivered to the front line without the skills to be an active manager. They are frightened by the crowds they're seeing. They are not good communicators, so can't take instruction, can't return information back to the control room, uh, require excessive levels of localised management from a supervisory level that we often don't have access to at the mm. moment. Um, so the, the quality of a lot of badged staff that we're seeing is poor the skill has gone from the sector and it will take a long time to rebuild um, and if we rely only on training as being oh you got your SIA badge you're trained then we're kind of done because there's so much more to being an operative in a crowded space so you know I'll, I'll see people that come to me expecting to be a doorman and they're absolutely terrified when they're in a dynamic and moving crowd um, they don't realise that the biggest tool we have is our ability to communicate with the crowd. I was like, I need you to shout, keep left, keep left at the top of your voice for five minutes. I know it's boring, but that's what I need you to do. And literally can't even vocalise in a way that means they can communicate with the crowd. Literally can't, don't even have the confidence to stand and shout. Um, oh. I saw so much of that this summer. Um, you know, people, so... So instead, when you've got volunteers who want to make the event work, who want to learn more, who are motivated by being part of something, who the act of giving them information and drawing them closer to the event is the reward. Um, you know, that that is phenomenal. Um, but you do have to train people right. You do have to be careful. I mean, there is there is often this view that you shouldn't put volunteers into difficult or dangerous situations. You shouldn't be putting untrained security guards into difficult or dangerous situations. It's exactly the same. You don't magically transform into a superhero with your pants outside your trousers after a five day SIA course. Um, you are just as valuable a human being, whether you're an SIA staff member or a volunteer. And the training is of limited use the first time you encounter a really busy, crowded place. Um, and A, we should have respect for that apparently expendable level of SIA guards that people are talking about, whether, oh, no, make a security guard to that. Why? Why do they deserve to have a terrible job? Um, mm. You need to respect them too. And that's going to be part of how do we build that respect for security staff in an industry. We've, we've got a long way to go with some of that. Um, but also, let's not underestimate volunteers who do incredible things on a daily basis. 
Oh, Emma, that you just put that so succinctly. That's that's wonderful. <laughs> it's like staying quiet and just doing little chair dances. Succinct um, is not a word people generally associate with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. It's on record. <laughs> awesome. I think that. Um, I wonder what the the fear is, but that fear of putting a volunteer where you know, do we need SI? And and that assumption of oh, we'll put SI here because we assume a level of competency, which we know that we're not we're not going to get that now and um we assume a level of incompetency in volunteers and that's so inappropriate volunteers if you give them the information to make a conscious decision about the level of risk that they feel capable of getting involved in if you protect them well if you create an environment where they have the right training the right equipment the right communications the right support in the field and line management and command and control you will find volunteers can do remarkable things. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you, Emma. <laughs> I like mic drop. I have nothing else I can add. <laughs> it's like we'll just we'll just let the the world hear this message because it is it is important that we kind of reflect on on these assumptions that we make about SIA and stewards and volunteers and actually what what we really need are you know as you said are what we really need are people who can communicate really well. And I love what you said about giving them the information. This is what I've noticed over the years is arming people with information so they can make the decision about what they need to do next, both with our staff and also the the crowd. So and setting that expectation of what you're kind of walking into. And hmm. you you also mentioned command and control. And so information, communication, command and control. And that part of crowd safety, crowd management, event management, do you think that there needs to be more consideration it's, put it's into interesting, it? It's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess with any discipline, the the urge to cling to what's unique about your subject, what makes you you as a group of people is strong. So the urge to sit with crowd dynamics, you know, I've learned crowd dynamics and therefore I'm a crowd manager. I understand crowd and people get very rightly get very obsessed with crowd dynamics. Crowd dynamics is fascinating. You know, creating systems of movement is fascinating. Extending that out into crowd science, looking at the behavior of the people, the behavior of the staff. I'm very wary of anybody who doesn't consider the absolute behavior of their organization when they consider how to be a crowd manager, right? So I think we all know from a logical perspective that we never blame the crowd for the problems that the crowd is in. We always look to our own organization. But inadvertently, a lot of organizations do problematize the crowd rather than looking to their own structures and systems i'm lucky enough to be involved in one particular festival where we are in a process of constant reinterrogation of our command and control systems based upon learnings every year to make sure that they're fit for purpose in a really complicated world i mean i i work at events where i've probably got 30 or 40 different sectors to manage across one event, 24 hours a day, where there are eight or nine leading security organizations, companies involved who have no horizontal communication between themselves whatsoever and rely on a really rigid command and control structure and information that's fed back from the event. I don't think as a sector we do enough work on understanding command and control and seeing it not just as a set of hierarchies, who's in charge of who, but thinking really logically about not just how information flows through the organization, 
but what information needs to flow through the organization in order to meet the key requirements of command and control. That ability to understand what capacity you have, what resources you have, and how to control those resources in the most efficient um, and uh, appropriate manner. And the number of places that just go in are, this person's in charge of this person's in charge of this person, here's your radio, off you go. You know, everything from the basis of does that member of staff know how to use a radio? Is your radio channel plot appropriate? What have you asked them to tell you? What are you regularly asking them to tell you? What are your expectations of them in terms of communication, command and control are are so intimately linked and we don't often spend enough time thinking about it. Um, I was lucky enough to be given the opportunity to build a dedicated crowd safety desk at one of my events. And it's a well-specified desk. It has three crowd controllers running on crossed over shifts. It has access to all the CCTV in the world, multiple loggists, liaisons with security firms. We take control of the social media of the event at night. We take control of all the LED signage at night. Um, We have vast networks of information flowing through that desk on a minute by minute basis. Have we rested on our laurels? No, we haven't, because we've looked and there are gaps in where that information is coming from and gaps, other resources that could be part of crowd management that as yet aren't quite there. So we're starting to reimagine yet again, um, because events live, breathe, they're changing, they're dynamic. We, We all say, oh, crowds are different this year. Great. So, so should our management systems be. Mm. It's a dynamic, evolving, what we call in emergency planning, an emerging set of circumstances. And we need to respond to that. So, yeah, it's often not taken seriously. It's seen as very hierarchical and you will do what I say. True subsidiarity, often not developed in our industry because we assume the frontline worker is somebody who can't be trusted, somebody who can't do their job. So we don't empower them. We don't train them. We don't give them the opportunity to improve because that would cost us money, God forbid. Um, And we couldn't just knock them out, you know, nine quid an hour and pocket the other three quid or whatever, you know. And it's it's driven by margins in the industry. Don't get me Mm. wrong. But margins in the industry are appalling in places, appalling. And if you treat staff like a terrible expendable resource, Here's the thing. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. And we don't have the opportunities to create good training and good briefing. You know, this is, this is a plea to people that don't work in security. We're often, as crowd managers, security companies, it's like we're told to solve our own problems. If you are promoting a show, running a show, running ops on a show, and you are hiring at a certain fee, think about the implications of that fee. Buy time to brief your crowd staff, buy time to make sure that they understand what they're doing. Don't just buy the absolute minimum that sits on your spreadsheet and then hope to hell that the security industry has solved every other one of your problems. There is responsibility throughout the chain. Sorry, that was a bit of a sermon. That's not where I expected that to go. Brilliant. No. (laughs) (laughs) Emma, I always believe that what needs to come out will come out at the right time. Honestly, but, you know, we wonder why these kids can't communicate on the radio. And then we go, well, who taught them? And we wonder why they don't tell us the things we expect them to tell them. Well, who taught them? You know, and then we wonder why they can't do the things we want them to do. Who empowered them? 
And while we've got frontline security guards who are under such rigid hierarchical command and control that they are too frightened to speak, but at the same time, we're expecting them to tell us when something's going weird, we've got a problem, you know. And while the industry is not respected, people talk about the need to professionalise the security industry, pay us, pay us what we're worth, you know, and then we can start to build out training and experience for the candidates we can start to look at the kids that are doing really well and go do you want to think about doing a qualification do you want to think about becoming a supervisor where do you mm. want to go with this but the workforce is treated as expendable mm. yeah. oh thank you emma the these are the, the key kind of subjects and i think the world needs to really hear this because we all want the events we all want events we all want to keep mm. making events but we can't keep doing what we're doing because it's not getting better it's getting worse so heed the words i know that we're we're um coming near the, the end of our time so first part is if you if you would like to join me on another session I have many more questions for you <laughs> so I'm, I, <laughs> am not, like I am not near we will need a part two but my final question on this part one is we've talked about the command and control and some of these critical elements of of what makes up crowd safety and you are studying a PhD yeah, really so I'm doing, I'm doing a prof doc, and uh, what fascinates me because I started the, this journey as an emergency planner originally. Uh, I did a, a master's. I had a I had a mad career change later in my life. I ran away to join the circus. Uh, so much as I did a master's in emergency planning, and found it fascinating, and found not just emergency planning but disaster etiology, the causes of disasters, a fascinating thing because I'm a real believer in integrated planning. You know, if you can mitigate way, way out in advance, stop focusing on just response as your as the, the only tools in the toolbox. And one of the things I got really interested in, uh, which is what's become the source of my prof doc, is there are safety critical industries all over the world that work really successfully every single day without incident. Yeah, the space program, mining, extractives and oil drilling, airlines, the nuclear industry. These industries have been studied extensively, extensively. Um, you know, um, the, the space shuttle disasters, horrifying as they are, were responsible for the deaths of a very small number of humans. We've had crowd disasters, even in the UK, responsible for the killing of dozens of times many more people. And yet the amount of research that's gone into the organisational causation behind that is phenomenal in the space industry and is minimal in crowd safety. It's back to this idea that we've got crowd dynamics, we've got crowd science, and that's our thing. But what I'm fascinated by is there's all these amazing learnings from all these other industries about what makes organizations fit to deliver their objectives? And it comes back to some of the, the organizational structures, characteristics, features, cultures. And if you actually think about crowd safety, we are delivering it in so many different ways. But we don't talk about that. So on a Saturday afternoon at a premiership football club, You've got a set of people who, by and large, know each other pretty well, do the same job week in, week out, with a fairly hierarchical command and control structure, regular relationships, 
you know, uh, an understanding of the flow, pattern and shape of the delivery of that operation, a set of considerable plans and a set of excellent reporting afterwards. And then you can have a Greenfield event where 10 people who've never met each other come together in a control room five days before the event to run one of the greatest shows on earth, having literally no organisational structure between them other than what they make on the day. And everything in between, everything in between. We don't know what is a good organisational way to deliver crowd safety because we don't look at that. We look at we look at command and control. We look at management systems. But actually, so many of these large crowded events that we run are one offs or ad hoc or once a year. You know, so we need to understand what features drive the delivery of good crowd safety. How do our organizations represent those features? How do our people represent those features? So, you know, it's you'll you'll know it yourself. You walk into a control room for the first time and there's a little bit of, of, oh, how do I know you? How do I not know you? Who do we know in common? What shows have you worked on? People are sizing each other up really quickly. Mm. Can I trust that person? is what you're coming down to. When you're trying to work out who knows who and how, can I trust that person? Do I know that person? Can I make a phone call and find out if they're any good? Oh yeah, I saw that show. That show was great. So they must be great. Right. So there is an informal horse trading that goes on. Maybe the ability to build trust relationships and communication really quickly is a far more important feature of being a crowd manager than simply being able to put in place a crowd dynamics plan for example. So that's what I'm starting to look at, because this is well-established science in other fields, really well-established. You know, if you look at space shuttles and the O-ring disaster, nobody thinks the O-ring is the problem. Everybody knows it was the organizational structures and culture of NASA and Thiokol and the bureaucracy and the relationship to the government. Everybody knows that the very last thing, the trigger rather than the cause of the disaster was that O-ring. And we are not looking at that in any substantial way at the moment because we're a young subject. It's not the fault of all the pioneers that went ahead of us. We are still shaping this subject. It's one of the reasons I love it. But if we need to reach maturity, we need isomorphic learning from other industries. Other industries understand trust, communication, they understand the importance of subsidiarity, information flow. They understand sensitivity to operations, how we deal with experts, what happens when the locus of power moves in organizations. They understand that innately in the nuclear industry, in the space industry, in the oil industry. And we don't understand that at all in crowd safety at the moment. Mm. We can borrow from other industries, but we can't have our own version of that sculpted to what we need so that's what I'm studying for my prof doc wow thank you Emma I every time you finish what you're saying and I'm like I have nothing to say to I'm just like I I do tend to be a bit hectoring because I am no excited by the subject I just I'm just like wow I'm just taking it all in I'm like this is (laughs) (laughs) just (laughs) <laughs> just that it's easy to really say and much harder to do don't confuse charisma <laughs> and over-excitement for actually managing to change anything I've got a long way to go <laughs> oh well Emma thank you so so much for your time and everything you've shared in this episode and 
Oh, thank you. Thank you. For, you know, <laughs> make, making a space for us to have these conversations is so important. So thank you for being persistent with it and for getting it out there because giving a platform to this thing that we all love so much is amazing. Oh, awesome. thank you so much, Emma. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and follow the show for more episodes to come. If you would like to learn more about crowd safety and improving the events industry, you can visit my website and blog at isamurphy.com. <laughs>